Vernon. Yeah, good morning, Chuck. Hey, good morning, Vernon. How you doing? Real good, and my warmest greetings to you and the staff at WNUR and all of your listeners out there. Hey, all right, thanks, thanks a lot. Vernon. Vernon, this is Jeff. Jeff, say hello to Vernon. Howdy, Vernon. Uh, Andrew, say hello to Vernon. Andrew's running the How you doing, course. gentlemen? All right. Very good, very good. All right, Vernon, uh, for people who don't know, why don't you tell us what the American Indian Movement is? Well, first of all, of course, I serve as a national representative for the American Indian Movement for the past 30 years. The movement actually was formed in 1968, or I should say reborn, in 1968 uh, here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, of course, we realized that our movement actually was born uh, the day that this colonial pirate, Christopher Columbus, got off the vote. <laughs> and eventually the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock, there was a need to start a resistance movement. So we're the continuation of over a 500-year struggle. And for people that understand who we are, I would like to share with them uh, some words. And incidentally, your uh, listeners can find us on aimovement.org. That's a great website, by the way. Very well, thank good Thank you very much. And if uh, your people want to log on, but for those that uh, don't have uh, access to the web, uh, on the profile, it was something that a traditional Ogallala Lakota man said about the American Indian Movement. And I think it best describes for your listeners as to who we are when he said, things will never be the same again, and that's what the American Indian movement is all about. They are respected by many, hated by some, but they are never ignored. They're the catalyst for Indian sovereignty. AIM was born because a few knew that it was enough, enough to endure for themselves and all others like them who were people without power or rights. From the outside, AIM people are tough people. They had to be. The American Indian Movement was born out of the dark violence of police brutality and the voiceless despair of Indian people in the courts of Minneapolis, Minnesota. AIM people have known the insides of jails, the long wait, the no appeal of the courts for Indian people because many of them were there. From the inside, AIM people are cleansing themselves. Many have returned to the old traditional ceremonies, teachings, and way of life of their tribes, away from confused notions of a society that has made us slaves of our own unguided lives. AIM is first a spiritual movement, a religious rebirth, and then the rebirth of dignity and pride in a people. What is important, I'm not going to use the whole text here, uh, gentlemen, but what is important is that uh, what is said about sovereignty, land, and culture cannot endure if a people is not left in peace. The American Indian Movement is then the warriors class of this century who are bound to the bond of the drum who vote with their bodies instead of their mouths. Their business is hope. So just so people uh, understand uh, the... Back, a little bit more of the background of the American Indian Movement. You guys are a nonprofit organization, correct? Yes, of course. Uh, uh, very early on, when the movement started in 1968, uh, in order to uh, you know to uh, be able to get the, uh, grants, foundation grants, uh, etc., you have to incorporate as a nonprofit. I mean, you just have to uh, you know utilize the state of the, of the laws of various states in order to. Uh, be able to get grants and uh, foundation grants. And, of course, uh, we also function as a 
uh, nonprofit under the laws of state of Colorado and several other states across the country. But we recognize that we are uh, members of sovereign nations. Uh, our uh, patriotism and loyalty is first to our own nations. And, of course, we uh, are sovereign nations and self-governing nations. People have to understand that. We have not bought into the whole thing of colonialism like uh, so many of our more conservative leaders have. And, uh, but yet we realize we have to operate in two worlds. And, and, but the American Indian movement itself, uh, we uh, develop infrastructure. We develop schools, health care, training programs, legal services. And through community-based involvement and community-based boards of directors, we empower our people to do for themselves what they, what they for a long time have wanted others to do for us. You know, I have a, a lot of questions for you, Vernon, about uh, what happened this week with the Treasury Department. I want to talk to you about uh, Leonard Peltier, about racism in sports. But I just thought of this because we had Jim Bell on from uh, Nunatsiak News in Nunavut, the uh, new autonomous territory in Northwest Territories. How do you feel about uh, that movement now that they uh, have kind of they have a, a sense of self-rule up there now? Well, of course, and and they should have. You know, uh, colonialism is a thing of the past. Uh, colonial empires have crumbled all over. Over the world, and uh, we, the indigenous peoples of this land, have been colonized by the settler immigrant regimes called Canada, the United States, Mexico. I can go through all of Central and South America, and the indigenous people have suffered brutal exploitation uh, ever since the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock and Columbus in the Central America. And what's happening is that people all over the world uh, taste the sweetness of freedom. And so is it with our people, and so we have nothing but congratulations for uh, our brothers and sisters up in the Nupiat, up in the Northwest Territories, but as well we have utmost respect and, and are in solidarity with the indigenous struggles of not only the United States, but uh, in La Realidad, the struggle of the indigenous people under the banner of the Zapatista movement. Uh, we honor and respect them. And as well, people are struggling to be free throughout South and Central America. And together as indigenous people, we, we are a formidable force uh, as we unite our struggle spiritually, culturally, socially, economically, politically, and philosophically. And, you know, earlier today we were talking to a woman who uh, is involved in the caravan to Honduras where uh, they attempt to help out the indigenous people of Honduras. And over and over and over again, we see, especially in uh, the Americas, the uh, continued uh, racism the, and continued uh, uh, horrible treatment of indigenous peoples. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show so people can, uh, you know, hear somebody firsthand tell us what it's all about right now. Now, the big story... This can I just inject something sure, there? Sure, go ahead, uh, go ahead. In regards to what you're saying, I think an example, uh, a very uh, brutal uh, example is in the last 15 years alone, and while the Indian people and the United Democratic Front in Guatemala have been looking for peace, 150,000 Indians have been murdered, tortured, raped, butchered, burned, buried alive in Guatemala at the hands of the various death squad governments, many of them trained at the School of the Americas right here in Georgia. And the world knows that the CIA and other U.S. corporations have prolonged the agony of the people of Guatemala. And when Clinton visited Central America, he dismissed this terrible ethnic cleansing and genocide as it was wrong and the United States should not do it anymore. 
Well, they're doing it in Colombia. They're doing it in Honduras. They're doing it all over Central and South America. So we are joining with all the democratic forces and Rigoberta Menchu, the 1992 Nobel laureate, youngest woman to ever win the Peace Prize, a Mayan Indian. We're saying yes to peace, no to impunity. And we are calling for the permanent U.N. war crimes tribunal, which Jesse Helms and the U.S. Senate oppose so much at the same time calling for these tribunals against war criminals in Kosovo, in Yugoslavia, and now in Indonesia, uh, particularly East Timor. Uh, well, the United States can't have it both ways because they must be held accountable and, and subject to the same standards. So we're calling for war crimes tribunal to free the tens of thousands of suffering souls that fall fall victims to this continued American Holocaust. Yeah, it's it's a horrible situation when a democratic when a supposed democratic government like our own is hypocritical in that manner. Like you and I were talking on the uh, phone earlier this week, we are uh, we were part of the the United States was part of uh, establishing a world court, and yet we are the first ones to ignore the uh, statements of the world court and rulings by the world court. So I I want this hypocrisy to end in this country. Well, when you talk about hypocrisy, for instance, what America is spouses, particularly people like Dan Quayle and now other presidential candidates, as America's values. Uh, we know what they are trying to say and we know what they mean, but if you look at the beginning uh, of the coming of the pilgrims here in Christopher Columbus, I mean, this is the American Holocaust, uh, uh, ethnic cleansing, germ, chemical, biological warfare, terrorism, uh, forced death marches, uh, America has been involved in wars ever since they got off the boat, and so it's a very warlike, violent society, but they like to believe they're otherwise, and I think Americans got to wake up to how we're being representative by our government throughout the world. There's a lot of decent human beings in this land that call themselves Americans, but their voice is not being heard, and is being drowned out by the voices of war that seem to be needed for this government to continue exploiting land, labor, and resources throughout the world. You know, uh, Vernon, the big uh, story in the papers this week here in Chicago was involving the trust accounts set up by the government in the 1880s to compensate Native Americans for the use of their land. How much does this trust fund pay out every year to individual Native Americans? Well, I think it's ironic that they call it a trust fund. When you have a yes. trust fund, you're supposed to trust an executor <laughs> to take care of your trust uh, monies. Well, uh, this is a good example of what the United States, through its bungling bureaucracy called the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Bureau of Land Management, the Department of the Interior, and eventually the Secretary of the Interior and the President of the United States must be held accountable. And, of course, unfortunately, the taxpayers of America, when we bailed out the savings and loan scandal, where uh, bankers pulled an inside robbery, uh, looted their vaults, and then turned around and we, the taxpayers, had to pay. Uh, well, uh, Americans are going to have to pay again because of the bunging of their government. But why are they holding our funds? Our people still live in dire poverty. Uh, 74% high unemployment rates on the Ogallala, Lakota, Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, there's disparity across the land, yet the government squanders what little funds we have. And I would also point out that the big oil companies in collusion with the Department of the Interior, have literally and are still looting our oil and natural gas resources, our coal, fossil fuels resources across the country. And I can tell you, if I was in a position of power as a tribal leader, 
I would shut down all of our oil fields and gas fields tomorrow until we get a fair accounting. Only then, through exercising that type of leverage, is this government going to realize that they have to take us serious? Yeah, a couple of things you mentioned there. The, these oil and coal companies have leased these lands from uh, Native Americans, and they were supposed to pay for these leases to go to uh, the Native Americans who are, spo- who are living there. And then the Treasury Department didn't trust the Native Americans with the lease money, so the Treasury Department held on to it. And now there's no record of, there's no accounts receivable department in the Treasury Department for the lease on these lands. Does anybody know how much money is missing? Billions. Uh, they're shredding documents, even as, I, as we talk here. Uh, just recently, in the last week or so, it showed that more documents were being shredded. I mean, this is a massive, uh, should be a massive embarrassment to America. It's just an example of their continued abuse and neglect and racism toward Indian people. The uh, fact is, uh, we know that many of the oil companies, I'm not going to name one without naming them all, but they're actually bypassing the gauges uh, taking uh, the oil out of the tank before it went through the gauges. So uh, they've literally built us out of billions of dollars, which is the root cause of the suffering of Indian people. And so when the American Indian movement has been calling for restitution, reparations, restoration of lands for reconstruction of an Indian future in America, it will not only be good for our people to get our people off chronic cycles of poverty, get our people off welfare rolls and put them on payrolls through training and education, and they, we will again be a continuing contributor to the, uh, the building of what is called the American state. Right now, our people are like stepchildren sitting in the orphanage waiting, waiting for some justice to come our way. It has to come now. Yeah, they said that uh, within uh, 10 months to uh, just a year ago, 162 boxes of records were destroyed, and the judge who was involved in the case said that this was clear obfuscation of the evidence. So are, is, uh, is the American Indian Movement uh, directly involved in this case? Are you legally involved in this case? Do you have legal representation in this case? Well, we're legally involved, uh, and how we're legally involved is that the American Indian Movement was a catalytic force where many of our young men and women went back to colleges, universities, became doctors, PhDs, brilliant attorneys, and many of them, like Walter Echohawk at the Native American Rights Fund and other women and men within our various legal services, are, are handling this situation. Of course, we remain very concerned uh, that uh, there be a full accounting. You know, if, you're, if you've got a banker in your community and he loots you of your funds, you have a right to an accounting, you have a right for redress, and you have a right to recover your losses. And we should expect nothing less from the United States government who took upon themselves the pompous position of having to be our father to look after their, their, uh, their children, their red children. Well, <laughs> you can see how they've looked after us. Yeah. We're speaking with Vernon Belcourt, who is, you're an Ojibwa Indian, correct? I'm up on the a place called Gawababe Kanikog, Anishinaabe, Ojibwe. I'm up on the Ojibwe Nation in northern Minnesota, a place called White Earth, where uh, I'm on a constitutional drafting committee. So internally, we're taking care of our garden to get rid of corrupt leaders and to get a new constitution that goes back to our more traditional forms of traditional council. Uh, So we're very engaged on all levels. 
across the country and throughout the hemisphere. And Vernon is a national representative of the American Indian Movement. You can check out their website at aimovement.org. He is also the president on the uh, National Coalition on Sports and Racism, um, Sports and Media in Racism. And Randy, our piano player, has a question for you, uh, Vernon. How are you doing, sir? Um, I was interested, I noticed something you said right when you began um, speaking, and we're talking about the American Indian movement being uh, fundamentally and perhaps uh, firstly a movement that is rooted in spirituality and then uh, takes political action sort of, uh, out of out of that as your center. Um, and something I've been interested in, uh, you're probably familiar with Ed McGaugh, of course, Otherwise, uh, Eagle Man. Eagle I know Man. Ed well. uh, wrote a book called Mother Earth Spirituality. Uh-huh. Um, a handful of years ago, I went to sort of a weekend workshop with him on Native American spirituality. I also had the chance once to meet Harley Swiftier. Uh, well, you're you're talking about two different two people different guys. Here. You're talking about a legitimate Ogallala Lakota man that follows the traditional teachings. Uh, his name is Ed McGaw, Eagle Man. The other gentleman, I I won't even mention his name. We've got. A whole group of phony shamans out there who are taking on these phony names and phony identity, and that individual is, uh, falls into that category. Uh, Harley Swift, dear Reagan, or something. Uh, you know, though, we, unfortunately, that's another whole issue that we could talk about. We have a whole group of academics, uh, writers, poets, uh, whose work wouldn't go anywhere, but they take on, they wake up in the morning, they take a uh, what they think is an Indian name, and they take on a phony Indian identity, and then they start distorting our reality. And so uh, that's another whole thing that can be discussed. But I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, oh, sure. as far as Ed McGaugh is concerned... Well, my, my question specifically about Ed McGaugh was, um, I, I mean, I enjoyed, I got a lot out of the workshop that I went to with him, but I've heard a lot of people, Native Amer- Americans and others, criticize some Native American teachers who are going out and spreading spreading the message or, or teaching the spirituality basically to, um, to non-Native Americans, to white people and others. And I know that that's very controversial. I've heard some people say that white people are ripping off uh, Native American spirituality, which is certainly something that I, I don't want to do. I, I was just wondering what your thought is on that. Well, down through the years, uh, we've always welcomed uh, other peoples to our circle because we realize that Americans, more than us, have a very serious identity crisis in that they opted to become Americanized. They gave up their language, their traditional spiritual way of life, uh, their, a lot of times their culture, their music, their art. And they became part of what is called an American culture. And again, that we could discuss that for another several hours to try to determine what is American culture. And having been stripped of their identity, there are a lot of people out there that are hungry, that are looking for something that can attach them to this part of the world, to this Mother Earth. And so, yes, there has been criticism uh, against teachers like Ed McGaugh, Eagle Man, for sharing this for the very reason that I just described with this other individual you were going to name. It's because... Many sincere people come to the circle, they're welcome, but regrettably, others, they blink their eyes and they have a vision that it takes an old man, an old woman, a lifetime to have, if they have one. These people blink their eyes and have a vision every 10 seconds, take on these phony Indian names, and then they go out and start writing books, uh, writing poetry, writing music, and then passing off, and I could give you a whole list of them, which I won't waste the time on at this time. And I think it's for those reasons that people like Mr. Gautmaga uh, has been subject to criticism. Uh, but we try to make a distinction. If there's people that have a pure heart and they come to the ceremony and it helps them, uh, they're often welcome. For instance, every August, 
the American Indian Movement, and we will be holding our 10th annual Sundance at a place called Pipestone, which is a place where all the red stone comes from out in southwestern Minnesota. It's an all-Indian Sundance. Only Indian men and women are allowed to dance. But our non-Indian friends are welcome to come around the arbor. They can offer their prayers. Uh, they can actually dance under the arbor. And so we always open up the door for them because we realize that most Americans and many people throughout the world don't know anything about Indian people. All they know is, uh, is uh, cowboy and Indian movies or a mascot uh, or falling off a horse in a movie. Uh, and so they don't understand us. So we try to share that to the extent that we can. Unfortunately, from time to time, there are those with a, uh, with a, with a bad heart that will exploit it. Uh, Leonard Peltier, a prisoner in Leavenworth, was found guilty of uh, murdering FBI agents in South Dakota in 1975. Conspiracy. They, conspiracy, they admit right. they don't know who shot the agents, but that he was there. And, of course, he had to be uh, guilty, according to them. Right. And could you describe the situation that uh, led up to the events on June 26, 1975, that ended up in the deaths of FBI special agents Jack Kohler and Ronald Williams? Very briefly. Uh, in 1972, and again, this is under our AIM archives on the, uh, our website, which is aimovement.org, uh, we went to Washington with what's called the Trail of Broken Treaties, where we presented a manifesto of 20 different uh, points, one of them being restitution, reparations, restorations of land for a reconstruction of an Indian future in America, protection of our sacred shrines and burial sites, uh, the right to repatriate the ancestral remains from various museums, uh, incidentally, many of those laws have now been passed into law. Uh, so the American Indian Movement was at the forefront of bringing about change. Uh, from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, we went to Wounded Knee in 1973, where we were engaged in an armed confrontation with U.S. government forces for 73 days. What we have found, after pouring through the first of 17,000 pages of declassified Freedom of Information documents from the FBI, CIA, and the White House, and the Justice Department, that in the Nixon White House, they started a campaign to infiltrate our movement in order to dis misdirect, disrupt, discredit, and demonize the leaders in order to destroy the movement. It was those same programs that targeted Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Fred Hampton, Mark Clark, were murdered out of those programs in Chicago. And, of course, uh, what happened is that uh, the F Federal Bureau of Investigation, and we just submitted irrefutable proof to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, who were meeting uh, a week and a half ago in Rapid City, South Dakota, to uh, investigate all the deaths that have taken place in the past few months in Rapid City, Mobridge, White Clay, Nebraska. And we presented documentation calling for Senator Orrin Hatch, the chair of the House Committee on the Judiciary, as they did in Waco right now with a special investigator, Senator ex-Senator John Danforth, as they did on Waco and Ruby Ridge where the FBI snipers murdered the wife and son of Randy Weaver, that they must come to Pine Ridge, South Dakota to hold hearings there where all of this violence occurred because of the FBI program of infiltration and trying to discredit the movement which led to the deaths of Pedro Bizonet, Jeanette Bizonet, uh, Anita Wilcox, uh, Frank Clearwater, and Buddy Lamont, who was a Vietnam veteran, was murdered by FBI snipers at Wounded Knee 1973. 
and dozens of dozens of other deaths. So we've called for the House Committee on the Judiciary to hold special meetings to investigate not only the death of Anna Mae Aquash, but all the other deaths. And, of course, uh, uh, what we have maintained is that it was FBI extremist informants that were on the periphery of the death of Anna Mae Aquash and all the other deaths and were actually involved in the uh, so-called shootout at the Jumping Bull residence on June 25, 1976, that led to the death of Jack Kohler and Ronald Williams and a young Indian man, Joseph Stunts. What we have said is that the families have waited too long to learn the truth about how their children were murdered. And we can no longer trust the FBI. We certainly are not going to trust any grand jury uh, because we've had our fill of it. We've had our ex bad experiences with it. And that's why we need a special investigator be appointed and the House Judiciary Committees to hold hearings. Leonard Peltier is a principal victim out of a botched FBI job using extremist informants, and Leonard Peltier has surfaced as the patsy on this one, and of course he's now been in prison for 23 years. So I want to ask all your listeners to do one thing today or in the next days. Get on the phone, get on the web, email the White House, email Janet Reno, email uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, the chair of the House Committee on the Judiciary, and join us in demanding a committee. We owe it to our people. We owe it to America. And we are not going to take this residue into the next millennium. We want to leave it right here on the eve of the 20th century. You know, there's something that I don't understand. I have a feeling that it's something that you don't... Uh, I'm, I'm sure you comprehend it, but it's something that buff, uh, probably... Uh, confuses you as well. A year after the shooting at Jumping Ball, uh, two other men were or accused in the shooting, uh, Bob Robido and uh, Dino Butler. Why did the jury find these two men not guilty, and why wasn't Leonard Peltier tried with them? Okay, they made a... Well, first of all, Leonard Peltier was a fugitive from injustice. Uh, he, he, attempt, he went to Canada. He uh, was going to go to the Danish or the Swedish or the Norwegian embassy. The story is now being told wrong uh, that he was going to the Cuban embassy, and I believe that he might even have said that at one place along the line, but uh, he could not get justice here. So during the uh, trials of Robidoux and uh, Butler, where actually part of their defense was self-defense. You know, we know what the police did in Chicago when they murdered Fred Hampton and Mark Clark in their beds. And they were doing that on the Pine Ridge Reservation that led to dozens of deaths. Uh, certainly, uh, no one could trust them. And we were able to prove that the federal government, through the FBI, was culpable to wrongdoing. And part of the defense of Robidoux and Butler was self-defense. Uh, between their trial and the next trial, all of a sudden, strange and new shell casings showed up that the FBI didn't produce before. Since then, since the conviction of Peltier, we have found other evidence that the shell casings did not match uh, a weapon that was supposedly found in a burning vehicle on a Kansas turnpike. So we're seeing a major connection here between these extremist informants and the death, the botched job that led to the death, got out of hand, in other words, led to the death of these two agents and, of course, Joe Stunts, a young AIM leader. And now uh, we've been trying to get a new trial. We can't get that. We almost exhausted all judicial remedies. And now it's going to take an outcry worldwide uh, to free Peltier. So we're asking everybody out there with 
a good spirit to assist us in that effort. You know, uh, I just want to mention the audience, uh, Nobel Prize winner Bishop Desmond Tutu, former Russian President uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, 51 members of Canadian Parliament, and 50 members of the United States Congress all are asking for a new trial. And the release of these documents the, through the Freedom of Information Act um, is, uh, a little, is promoting this a little bit more. But why can't a retrial just be scheduled if they found out that there is evidence that now says that the FBI misled the jury in Leonard Peltier's conviction? Why can't a retrial be scheduled? Well, there's tremendous opposition from the FBI. You know, every time we're close to maybe executive clemency, they buy full-page ads in, like, the Washington Post. This just recently happened, too, Yes, it just recently happened in the last couple, three weeks. Uh, You know, if President Clinton, by a stroke of the pen, can free the Puerto Rican freedom fighters to some, terrorists to others, uh, nonetheless, if he could free them, he can certainly, by a stroke of the pen between now and Christmas, as a president, not only to Peltier and his family, to Indian people, but I believe it would be a present to the American people as well that want to put this behind. And, of course, if we can put this behind, free Leonard Peltier, have the House Committee on the Judiciary schedule meetings with a special investigator, I believe that together, uh, all Americans, along with the original and natural peoples of these sovereign nations, these indigenous nations, can march into the new millennium together. Uh, until then, it's going to continue to breed ill will, It's going to be like a cancer, like an open festering sore, and uh, we intend to continue picking at it until, until we heal the patient, the patient being Leonard Peltier and all other people who believe in justice. You know, that, that's where I completely agree with you. I wish this was behind us and not ahead of us. We're talking with Vernon Belcourt, and Vernon, you are also the president of the National Coalition of Racism and Sports and Media. So could you tell us what is the current state of your lawsuit, I believe there's a lawsuit, against the Washington Redskins and what laws your suit is based on? First of all, let me share with you a quote by a man who was a victim of America's ethnic cleansing, biological, psychological uh, warfare, uh, ter- terrorism, Uh, force marches. This man one time in talking to the general said this, why is it you Americans always insist on taking with a gun what you could have through love? Uh, Later on he said, you know our cause for making war. It is known to all white men and they ought to be ashamed of it. This man's name and the spirit of this great leader, a man of peace, a victim of the American Holocaust, is now reduced to a hockey team in Chicago. And so we're asking all the hockey fans out there to understand there's a difference in loving hockey and tolerating racism. Uh, most of you don't know anything about this great man, uh, Black Hawk, and the treatment that he and his people got in the Chicago area. So we don't want people saying they're honoring us now by naming their hockey team, and that's always been on, our, on the agenda, and now we are getting close to... Uh, taking uh, strong action to also uh, rid hockey of his last racial icons. And, of course, uh, this man is also memorialized in a weapon of destruction, probably that was used to slaughter many of these Indians in Guatemala, other people throughout the world, a helicopter gunship. The Apaches were kept in a concentration camp for 35 years in Florida, where most of them perished. And now today they call a helicopter gunship the Apache helicopter gunship. And when the 82nd Airborne men and women jump from a plane, including our own Indian people are in the military, they holler Geronimo. 
It's an absolute asinine insult to the spirit of men of peace like Geronimo and like Blackhawk. And so, of course, this is why we're moving to rid the University of Illinois of this this dancing idiot called Chief Alinawek. And, of course, uh, uh, in terms of the Washington football team, in 1992, seven prominent Native American plaintiffs filed suit before a three-judge federal panel of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and we were we proved that it was offensive, discriminatory, and scandalous, and therefore this three-judge federal panel lifted the trademark protections for the term redskins, which came from the Dutch practice of scalping Indians to collect bounties, thus having to produce the redskins or the red scalps. We didn't start scalping. It was the Dutch and other settlers that came here to collect bounties on the heads of Indian men, women, and children. But we had the term Redskins been canceled. Redskinettes, whatever that is. Imagine their cheerleaders if they had one. And, of course, all of their other six trademark patents. We're in the process of looking at the same suit against the Chicago Blackhawks, Cleveland baseball, Kansas City football, Atlanta baseball, the University of Illinois, the University of Florida at Florida State, where this racist chant and chop at its origins, University of North Dakota, where they call themselves the Fighting Sioux. They just can't be Indians. they got to be fighting, as if we had no right to defend ourselves. And, of course, uh, did I say the University of Illinois? Yes, yeah. Also, we have a uh, lawsuit filed against the city of Cleveland, the fire department, the chief of the uh, fire department, uh, for a false arrest of myself and two others uh, during the uh, pennant or World Series uh, race a couple years ago where we burnt an effigy of this grinning bucktooth uh, logo, which we call our Red Sambo, and that is the logo for the Cleveland baseball team, uh, which we refer to as our Red Sambo. They call it Chief Wahoo. Uh, in addition to that, of course, we're working with the Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility, who manage $100 billion in investments, retirement funds for 15 Protestant denominations, the Catholic organizations, the Jewish organizations. Uh, these are money managers, mainly women, but uh, men as well, clergy and lady, who did a remarkable job on divestment to dismantle apartheid in South Africa, a racist system of apartheid, have now turned their uh, attention toward gender and issues facing Indian people. And so we have some powerful allies. We're now meeting with Time Warner, ABC, NBC, CBS, and other companies like Liz Claiborne, even at this late hour, are trying to put out a line of fashions, women and men's, called Crazy Horse. Yeah. Uh, a brewery in Brooklyn by the name of Hornell Brewery, a couple Italian chaps, Voltaggio and Ferrolito, who now have the uh, arrogance after the black community in Chicago, particularly some of the preachers who spoke out about their marketing program that was targeting the African community with their high-powered malt liquor, they now put it in a decanter and it, something like this, from the hills of the Dakotas where you can conjure up images of pony shoulders and sitting ball comes crazy horse malt liquor. 
You know, I actually own a bottle of that because I I saw it and I couldn't believe that anybody would ever put this out. And I figured this is going to be taken off the market immediately. And it's so offensive. And I was just like, you know, I, this is something that I have to have to remind people of how over over the top these people can go. And, you know, things like uh, the names of the Washington Redskins. And I, I just inject one thing there in terms of so that people know why how offensive it is. Tashonke Whitko was a 27-year-old holy man, a man of peace. He didn't believe you should have your picture taken lest it steal your spirit. He was, in a sense, a teetotaler. He knew they were using it as chemical warfare, alcohol. Uh, he was persuaded to come into uh, Fort Robinson in Nebraska, just south of the Ogallala, Lakota, Pine Ridge Reservation, where he was bayoneted in the back. Now you've got these two Italian chaps who we've been trying to reason with to take this swill off the market and, of course, they insist on doing it. You know, they'll do anything for profit. And so we're suggesting to them if they think they're honoring Crazy Horse, they ought to put out a Pope Paul Pilsner, right. a Golda Meir, Sacramental uh, Malt, a <laughs> uh, John F. Kennedy Irish Ale, a Martin Luther Dark, a Martin Luther King Dark, or a Martin Luther Light. And honor everybody while they're at it. So we're asking people here to boycott Arizona Iced Tea because that's their very big money maker in order that they can continue disgracing and discredit, discrediting a great leader by the name of Crazy Horse. Uh, Arizona Iced Tea, get it out of your stores, off your shelves, off the university campuses, and you will not only be uh, making a commitment to our humanity, but you know racism works in strange ways. It's like a cancer. If you continue to perpetuate it, you end up getting it yourself. Um, you know, uh, the Treasury Department, as I was saying earlier, I mean, this is kind of, kind of wrapping up here a little bit. The Treasury Department is a huge apparatus that has covered up the rightful amount of money that your people deserve. Leonard Peltier is constantly being campaigned against by former FBI agents and agents organizations. And the amount of clemencies offered to uh, quote-unquote political prisoners, as uh, Leonard Peltier has been described, was uh, has dropped astronomically since Ronald Reagan, and in particular during the Bush and Clinton administrations, and professional and collegiate sports have huge bank accounts to keep their names and their merchandising rights so that it is difficult to have them change their identities without them voluntarily doing it. So in the face of all of these parts of the powers that be fighting against what you believe in, is it difficult to go on? Do you think that in the end, somewhere down the line, you will be successful, Vernon? Oh, it's happening. I'll tell you why it's happening. Uh, I think the state of Illinois has the most amount of high schools in the country. It's astronomical, the amount of teams they have. And, of course, you take the whole area of Illinois. If they knew their own history, they would be embarrassed. Uh, they should have honored us 150 years ago, but they practiced the most heinous crimes against us. And now to say that it's honorific that they call themselves the savages, the redskins, the braves, the Indians, the warriors, the chiefs, the, on and on. So what is happening across the country, in the state of Minnesota, we had 50-some high schools. We're down to about nine. Uh, in New York State, there's changed. All across the country, young students on high school campuses and in elementary schools, on college campuses, are standing up and are finally realizing what we're saying. And they're all saying it's time to go into the millennium with a new name. And let's take a look at uh, Cleveland and Atlanta as an example. Cleveland and Atlanta have been in the playoffs, the pennant, or the World Series nine years in a row, with the exception of Atlanta winning one, uh, they've always were contenders and never champs. And what we're saying to Cleveland and to uh, Atlanta, and of course, in a way, since the Black Hawk Hockey Organization, you know, 
Uh, they're not even a good team. You know, they're further <laughs> embarrassing us more. Yeah. Uh, if they want to be a winner, they ought to come out of their dugout, their locker room. They ought to hit the rink, hit the diamond, hit the football field uh, with a new name, a new marketing scheme. They could make billions on marketing new attire, sports attire, and paraphernalia. Right. But more important, they'll come out of the dugout with a winning spirit, and perhaps they'll become winners. I'm certain that there are young people out there that can start name the team contest, come up with a good name for the Chicago hockey team, Cleveland, Atlanta, Kansas City, Washington, University of Illinois, on and on. But we're asking the young people in Illinois to get a hold of us on our website, aimovement.org, click on to the National Coalition on Racism and Sports and Media, look at our Speakers Bureau, and we have some powerful and dynamic women and men that will be very happy to come out to your campuses, to your communities. And I'm sure once you understand what we're saying, you will also say, well, why didn't we think about this before? Uh, we're talking to Vernon Belcourt. Vernon is a national representative of the American Indian Movement. I have two quick last questions for you, Vernon. Uh, when we first talked the other night, I was in the middle of watching a Christmas Carol with Patrick Stewart uh, playing Scrooge. You told me that you've met Patrick Stewart and that he is a big supporter of the American Indian Movement. Could you? Well, of course. You know, uh, more important, Patrick Stewart is a member of the... Uh, uh, the uh, Amnesty International, which is an na- international organization that uh, works to free political prisoners and to stop torture and all of this. Patrick Stewart, I met him recently at the Amnesty International uh, na- International Convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nice guy. Very warm human being, very responsive. Fact is, uh, uh, one of the uh, young nephews of Leonard Peltier presented it with him with... Uh, uh, one of Leonard Peltier's prints of one of his originals, and uh, and he seemed to enjoy getting that very much. So uh, Patrick Stewart is just an example of of the millions of people out there that are calling for freedom for Peltier. You know, around the world they used to say free Mandela, free Peltier. Well, Mandela's free. Perhaps Africa's not free yet, but uh, certainly we haven't got Peltier free yet. And he's been 23 years in there. Uh, he's certainly done enough time. All right. Well, Vernon, I, I have one last question for you. We call it the uh, question from hell because it's the hardest question for me to ask anybody. And I know it's just some question that some freak out there is thinking in their head. So I, I just have to ask you this. Uh, uh, right now, you are currently at the Shooting Star Casino of the White Earth Peoples in Monoman, Minnesota. Correct. And there are derogatory jokes that preceded uh, these uh, jokes about Native Americans being involved in gambling, the jokes about alcoholism in the past. People now make disparaging remarks about Indians running casinos. How do you feel about the Native American involvement in the gambling industry? Well, first of all, of course, you know, bingo, we learned that in the basement of the church, you know. I learned right. how to play bingo before I even knew about Jesus Christ, you know. Right. I'm surprised they don't, instead of bingo, it's not J-E-S-U-S. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but when Indians, when the American Legion had it and all these different other uh, fraternities and clubs had it, it was perfectly okay, but Indians took it and created an infusion of much-needed capital. And, of course, uh, the American Indian movement has said for very uh, early on, sovereignty, land, and culture cannot endure if a people is not left in peace. The whole issue of sovereignty is so important. We are sovereign nations. These are inherited, imbued rights by the Great Spirit. No colonial power can extinguish it. Consequently, we are exempt 
from state regulatory control, taxation, and many times many laws, such as governing gaming. And when Indian people started casinos, of course, we said it's not the best application of sovereignty, but with the economic infusion that we need, the infusion of capital, it'll do until something better comes along. Now when the tribes in Michigan and Illinois want to start exercising their rights under the American Indian Regulatory Gaming Act, uh, we see the city of Illinois, Chicago, and Michigan, Detroit, now they want to put in casinos. They don't want Indians to have anything. And so we, uh, most of our tribes, they're building schools, hospitals, clinics. Our young people are getting scholarship funds. And it's, it's, it, overall, it's a very positive thing. And I ask all of your listeners out there to keep coming and pulling on those slots. You know, there's an old racist saying that whenever something was broken, needed fixing, people would say what? Give it back to the Indians. Well, we're very happy to see that Americas of all races are bringing it back finally. Play slot machines, play bingo, help us break the cycles of poverty. We'll be eternal, eternally grateful. All right, uh, Vernon, it's been an honor having you on the show this morning. And I want everybody to go check out the American Indian Movement website at aimovement.org. And uh, as Vernon was saying, boycott Arizona iced tea. They're the people who make crazy horse malt liquor. Call to action, call to action. Yes, sir. Uh, So uh, uh, listen, Vernon, uh, have a wonderful day, have a great weekend, (laughs) and keep up the good fight. You too. All right, take care. Free Peltier. All right, free Peltier, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Manufacturing dissent since 1996. This is hell. Good morning, Vernon. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. It's always good to hear your voice, Vernon. Uh, I want My to... greetings to all your listeners. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show today. You know what I didn't do the last time I interviewed you, and I don't want this to happen again. Vernon is from the American Indian Movement. You can check out their website at aimovement.org. Is I didn't go through your profile at all that's at the site, which is amazing. Uh, you're a principal spokesman for the American Indian Movement and a leader in actions ranging from the 1972 occupation of the Bureau of of Indian Affairs in Washington to the 1992 Redskins Super Bowl demonstrations. What happened? What was it like at the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs demonstration in uh, 1972 in Washington? What was that like? Uh, This was called a Trail of Broken Treaties uh, campaign. It was literally a march across the United States uh, by several thousand uh, Native people. It was billed as the last peaceful effort to bring about corrective change. And under the U.S. Constitution, of course, you have a right to petition your government for redress of grievances. And even though the U.S. Constitution is imposed on the various sovereign indigenous nations of this land, we felt we had to confront the Nixon administration and government uh, over our concerns, uh, which are are still our concerns today, that is loss of land and resources, uh, destruction of our environment, of course, the fact that uh, in almost every area our people fall behind and are almost the invisible people of this land. So it was brought about to bring about corrective change. Ironically, at the time that we needed to have honest leadership in Washington, we ended up uh, trying to negotiate with the Nixon 
uh, <laughs> administration during the very time they were trying to cover up the crimes of Watergate, which we all found out a little later. Yeah, nice timing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> How ironic. Yeah, and then the very next year you were involved uh, in Wounded Knee. Why don't you tell people who, uh, you know, uh, a lot of these things unfortunately slip through the cracks of history now. Uh, you're not going to read about Wounded Knee in uh, uh, a history test- textbook here in the United States and schools here in the United States. So why don't you tell people what your involvement was in Wounded Knee and what was going on there? Well, following the Trail of Broken Treaties, which arrived in Washington during election week in November of 1972, uh, there was a complete overreaction by the United States government. And within the Nixon White House, and if people, again, were to visit our website at aimovement.org and go to Ministry for Information and then go to the Council on Security and Intelligence, We have several hundred uh, declassified documents under the Freedom of Information Act, that is to say White House documents, CIA, FBI, which showed that the Nixon administration, rather than dealing with us in an honorable fashion, in fact started a very deep covert campaign to recruit Indians and non-Indians masquerading as Indians to infiltrate the American Indian movement, which wore continues against us today. So following the Trail of Broken Treaties, when many of our people went back to their different communities, uh, they were the targets of overzealous FBI agents, uh, a Bureau of Indian Affairs Police. Uh, our people were being harassed on the Pine Ridge, Oglala, Lakota uh, Nation in a place called the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. And eventually the elders there asked us to come in Uh, to support them, and of course, uh, that led to the historic hamlet of Wounded Knee, where in 1890, on Christmas Eve, over 300 men, women, and children, uh, under the leadership of a great spiritual leader, Chief Bigfoot, were cut down with Gatling gun and saber. And so it was then, of course, the place to go to, again, dramatize worldwide the continued mistreatment of our people, particularly those elders that were on the Trail of Broken Treaties. And, of course, um, both the uh, incident at the Bureau of Indian Affairs and then at Wounded Knee uh, uh, served a very important um, uh, process whereby people throughout the world finally understood that John Wayne and Hollywood movies had not killed all of us and that we were still here (laughs) and still struggling for our survival. So in that sense, it was a very important historic event to return there in 1973. And uh, we hate to say it, but it's true that if people would visit our website, uh, they would see that that war literally continues today. And that war, in fact... uh, claimed the lives of two of their own FBI agents at a place called the Jumping Bolt Community in 1975, uh, Agent Kohler and Williams, and a young Indian man by the name of Joe Stunts. And from that, Leonard Peltier, who literally was framed, uh, remains in prison after 23 years, even though he has the support of Bishop Desmond Tutu, Uh, many members of the Parliament of Canada where he was kidnapped uh, by the United States government uh, with false affidavits by a young disturbed woman by the name of Myrtle Porbear. And, of course, um, that campaign also led to the execution-style death of a young Mi'kmaq woman by the name of Anna Mae Aquash. 
so the war continues today. Uh, we find that some of these suspected agents are still operating on the periphery of the American Indian movement, and uh, some of them are academic, literally, literary and Indian frauds, so the war continues. You know, I don't mean to come off here as naive, but I guess I am. This just doesn't make any sense to me. I do not think that the Mi'kmaq people or the Ojibwe or any of the uh, tribes uh, that are here in the United States uh, should be a a concern of national security for the United States. Why Why do you think that these surveillance groups, these intelligence groups, have so much interest in you when, in fact, I mean, what what crimes have I mean, there? There hasn't been uh, uh, terrorist crimes by Native American groups. Uh, the bombing at the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City was done by a white man. Why do you think that they still have so much interest in surveilling you? Well, it's, you know, out of ignorance comes fear. You know, the American Indian is probably the most understood, misunderstood people in this land. And what we've seen in Washington in 1972 when. We stood up and started talking about settler colonialism, neo-colonialism, and how many of our tribal governments were being used as an extension of the United States government through the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, to exploit our lands and our resources, water rights, petroleum reserves. When the American Indian Movement stood up and started realistically talking about the cancer that had afflicted us, and that is colonialism, and started talking about You know, at that time, most of our tribal leaders, uh, Indian and non-Indian academics, intellectuals, had no concept of the word sovereignty and how that applies to true self-determination by a people who have been denied self-determination under the settler regime of the United States. And, of course, we could include Canada in that and the treatment of Native people in Canada. Uh, So it was a complete overreaction by the FBI. Uh, Clarence Kelly, in his autobiography, said that they at one time they had 1,200 agents assigned uh, to the American Indian Movement. And, of course, it was out of that overreaction that he stated that the American Indian Movement almost caused the total breakdown of the FBI. So, basically, it was overreaction, the same kind of overreaction we've seen at Wounded Knee in 1890, the United States government launched it, launched this campaign, and out of that, they held uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings by Henry Fulbright, and uh, who was the chair. And the document, which is on our website, is the American Indian Movement Revolutionary Activities in the United States. And uh, what they did there was they were able to withdraw a lot of these vital documents, which we can't get today yet and put it under a national security cover. So it was complete overreaction, and of course that remains a fact today. You know, it seems like, I mean, I've been stumbling across that so many times in this radio show. It's the uh, overreaction by the government in this in this drug war that's going on. It's the overreaction to what you were saying, the American Indian Movement. It's the overreaction to the in the communist scare during the 50s. It seems like our government is ready to overreact at the drop of a hat. Let me respond to that. I think this is a very important point. Uh, About six months ago, uh, President Clinton was visiting Guatemala, and he made a public statement there that it was wrong for the United States to have supported the various military regimes in Guatemala whose excesses led to the deaths of tens of thousands of civilians. And specifically, 150,000 Mayan Indians have been 
tortured, butchered, raped, murdered, buried, uh, burnt alive in Guatemala at the hands of Guatemalan security forces with the support of the Central Intelligence Agency and various administrations of the U.S. government. That going on at the very time that the United States is pointing the finger at Yugoslavia for its ethnic cleansing in Kosovo and Bosnia and other places of the world, while at the same time the United States is involved in this bloody war against the Indian populations of Guatemala. Uh, President Clinton said that it was a mistake, we should not have done it, and we should never do it again. Well, at this very moment, we're in the process of sending $1.3 billion to the military regime of Guatemala, I mean of Colombia, where in the past two weeks, six elementary school students that were gunned down by Colombian security forces. Uh, two years ago, the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, uh, their acronym FARC, were responsible for the murders of a young Hawaiian woman, a young uh, Anglo-American a man, and of course a young woman from the Menominee Nation by the name of Ingrid Washinawatok. And of course we are demanding at this very moment that the government of Colombia and the FARC be held accountable and responsible for the deaths of these three young people. And we're looking for a UN investigation uh, not only to bring to trial, to tribunal, the people that have been responsible for the brutal uh, massacres in Guatemala that has claimed over 400 and some uh, villages, uh, perhaps as many as 300,000 Guatemalan civilians, 150,000 Indians. And now the United States is doing the same thing in Colombia. So we're looking for an international body like the UN War Crimes Tribunal to investigate the deaths of these three young people in Colombia and the deaths of the tens of thousands of civilians in Guatemala. You know, it's ironic that the United States would be pointing the fingers at other people of the world for its ethnic cleansing program, while at the same time, and for those that always say, well, it's history, we're not responsible for our history. Well, perhaps they're not, but we have to point out today to your listeners is that that war that ethnic cleansing continues against the U.A. Indian in Colombia, which will be intensified now to protect Occidental Petroleum Company's petroleum interest in U.A. Indian lands. And, of course, the $1.3 billion will further cause suffering of all the people of Colombia. And eventually, again, it will show that the United States has chosen to be on the wrong side of history. And as they supported the brutal regime of Pinochet in Chile, uh, that they are now making the same mistakes in Colombia. What is it about the United States foreign policy that they always choose to be on the side of these brutal military regimes? And always having a silly uh, an excuse for it that uh, seems to be just packaged for the media, like the drug war or the fight against communists. We are talking to Vernon Belcourt of the American Indian Movement, and uh, you can check out their website at aimovement.org. The thing that really disturbs me the most about what's happening in Colombia, too, the really sad part of it, uh, about it, Vernon, uh, is that there, is, uh, there was a very, very small silver lining to the aid package, which was that Colombia would have to 
uh, live up to a certain amount of human rights guidelines that the United States had for them. And now, just in the last week, President Clinton waived all of those human rights guidelines. Exactly. And, of course, you know, when we look at the drug war, as you indicated before, uh, it was at one time under the guise of fighting communism, such as the case in Guatemala in particular. And now it's under the guise of fighting the drug war, but in reality, the United States is fighting the revolutionary armed forces of Colombia, uh, a.k.a. FARC, uh, who, while we hold them accountable for the murders of uh, Ingrid Washington-Watok and the two other young people, uh, we also must hold the government of Colombia uh, accountable also for those deaths. And therefore, what we're doing is we're calling on all of our friends uh, throughout the United States and worldwide to withhold any support uh, to the government of Colombia and demand that the United States Congress and the Clinton administration cancel the $1.3 million military aid project, uh, which will only intensify the suffering of the, uh, the people throughout Colombia, including the Indian people. We're also calling on all of our friends here and worldwide to withhold any solidarity to the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Guatemala until such time as they agree to meet with the family members, offer an apology, accept responsibility, and to pay reparations uh, for their deaths. And, of course, we're hoping that your viewers out there, or your listeners out there, particularly those who consider themselves people of goodwill and people who stand for peace, uh, to support us in that effort. Uh, also, it says in your biography here that you were jailed for uh, throwing your very own blood on the Guatemalan embassy to protest the killing of 100,000 Indians. Was that the last time you were arrested? Well, I've been arrested since then. However, uh, yes, that was uh, uh, probably in the early, in the mid-80s or the, about 1982, 83. At that time, uh, we knew that uh, working with Rigoberta Menchu, the youngest Nobel Peace Prize winner, a young Mayan Indian, that at that time, the U.S. support for the brutal government of Guatemala and the evangelical uh, uh, Christian nut by the name of Ephraim Rios Mont, uh, who we are holding accountable along with uh, Lucas Garcia Romero, just to give uh, uh, the names of two of these uh, killers who were presidents of Guatemala. Uh, I had to resort to throwing my own blood on the Guatemalan embassy and, of course, was arrested, and, of course, at that time, the Guatemalan embassy uh, took a position of sovereign immunity, refusing to prosecute, uh, thus uh, preventing myself and our movement from having a forum where we could focus on... Uh, I was breaking the law to try to stop the uh, brutal massacres of people in Guatemala, but as you're well aware, uh, uh, two years ago, we had to resort to throwing blood uh, or to burning, uh, rather, an effigy of Chief Wahoo in Cleveland in order to bring about the fact that Chief Wahoo, this red, grinning, buck-toothed logo, a caricature of an Indian, to us it's our little red sambo, as black sambo would be to African Americans, and was arrested for burning this effigy. Uh, we argued our own case, and, were, and the case was thrown out by a judge. We went back uh, again on... Uh, Good Friday of 1988, and we burnt another one. And, of course, now we're going to be going to trial. We have a lawsuit against the city of Cleveland for denying us our First Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights, that is to say freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and to be free of false arrest and false imprisonment. 
Well, in the past two weeks, uh, the African-American mayor of Cleveland has announced that, the, in fact, the Wahoo, the caricature, is racist, and he's ordering it removed from all public facilities in Cleveland. So, it, unfortunately, it takes that kind of action to bring about the kind of change that we're seeking. You know, that uh, logo has... Uh, there's two things that have always bugged me in sports. Like, for instance, uh, Marquette, Marquette University was the Warriors. And the term, the, you know, like uh, in, with the uh, Atlanta Braves, uh, the name Warriors or Braves does not offend me to the degree that the Indians logo does, that the Washington Redskins... I mean, how can you get away with calling a team the Washington Redskins? Well, you know, the, uh, we took that case before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I think the suit was filed on behalf of seven prominent Native American uh, plaintiffs. I went before the U.S. Patent and Trademark three-judge uh, federal panel who agreed with us that the term Redskin and all six of their other trademark protections uh, were racist, pejorative, demeaning, degrading, and scandalous, and lifted their trademark protections. Now, you would think that the owners of the Washington football team uh, would understand that and, and have a name the team contest and come out with another team name. Uh, we would hope that the owners of the Cleveland baseball team, uh, since even the mayor has now agreed with us that it's a racist caricature, uh, would change. Now, of course, people were always saying, well, let's get rid of the mascot, but can we keep the names? Well, as long as there's a Kansas City Chiefs, a Chicago Blackhawks, a Washington Redskins, an Atlanta Braves, or the Cleveland Indians, or the University of Illinois fighting Illini. You understand it always has to be the fighting Illini. Right. The people of Illinois were the victims of the most brutal ethnic cleansing programs, and now to come back and say they're honoring us by naming a football team and having this uh, idiot come out on the field called Chief Illiniwick and distort our beautiful music of Indian people, distort our dance, uh, it's an insult. They're not honoring us. So obviously our campaign is to rid all athletic programs, teams of Indian names. We have to get rid of the Indian names in order to get rid of of the kind of behavior we see coming out of the fans themselves. You know, our first broadcast that we did this year, the year 2000 in January, I said, uh, just kind of offhand, because I'd been thinking about it for a while, that I thought that this would be the century of the indigenous people, that we would see uh, people finally realizing the horrible persecution. Not only the land, but we have to control and benefit by the resources from the land. And, of course, we're seriously calling on our various indigenous nations, uh, if necessary, in our demands for restitutions, reparations, restoration of lands for a reconstruction of an Indian future in America, to seriously take a look, take a look at uh, the various leases they have with the various coal companies and petroleum companies. And I think they would find that we're still being looted of these resources because we really don't have a watchdog type of organization like OPEC. We have what's called the Council of Energy Resource Tribes, but I don't believe that they're 
exercising the power they have over our resources, and I think that's something that our tribal leaders have to take a serious look at. What it, what amazes me is that uh, you know you always hear these arguments uh, about morality concerning gambling, and on uh, Native American reservations there are casinos here in the United States now, and yet we w- are not willing to do something that's uh, you know moral, which would be to protect your mineral rights and to make sure that the money that you are supposed to receive for your land is given to you. I mean, it it doesn't seem consistent with the family values that I keep hearing our presidential candidates talking about. Well, you know, family values seem to end when it comes to uh, indigenous people. Uh, The fact is um, that if we were to find large oil reserves within our communities, uh, the oil companies and the U.S. government would find some way to exploit it, such as they're doing up in the North Slope, up in Alaska, right. uh, whereby uh, Indian people are not benefiting by their resources to the degree that they should. Uh, in terms of gaming, of course, uh, we uh, brought the word sovereignty to our tribal leadership and got them to understand what that meant in terms of true self-determination and that we're not subject uh, to the state uh, jurisdiction which enabled many of our tribes to put in large destination resort casino operations. Uh, we have said time and time again we're not going to argue with that. Uh, we feel it's not the best exercise of sovereignty, but it's the form of economic development that'll do until something else comes along, and we would hope that our tribes would start becoming more diversified in their investments uh, and uh, in development of our own lands and resources so that we continue to have a, a uh, fusion of, uh, of capital that is much needed. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements out there that are anti-gaming. Uh, they will support uh, the casino industry in Las Vegas, uh, but at the same time, such as in the case of uh, even Illinois, for that matter, where uh, the politicians are lining up against Indian tribes to go back to their traditional lands whereby they can take land and put it in trust and put in a casino operation. Uh, they would have rather have the Atlantic City and the Las Vegas group do this than to see that Indian people have some money in our pocket. You know, there's something about economic self-sufficiency which strengthens political independence, and I believe that the politicians realize that, and they'd rather keep us broke and on welfare and faced with all the other social ills than to work with tribes to break the cycles of poverty. You know, uh, one of the uh, uh, stereotypes that I always had, and this was reinforced when uh, Canada gave the uh, uh, autonomous region of uh, Nunavut to the indigenous people of the Northwest Territories, formerly Northwest Territories, along the western coast of Hudson Bay. I always thought that the Canadians were far more open-minded in their uh, relationship with the native and indigenous people, and yet we've seen over the last few months over the last couple of years that this just is not the case time and time again. Uh, there's uh, persecution going on. The first thing I heard about was logging in Quebec, and now just this uh, last week or two, um, now like close to three weeks, with what's happening with the Micmac in uh, Burnt Church, New Brunswick. So for people who don't know this story, because a lot of people don't, because you won't see it on uh, American broadcast mainstream media, why don't you tell people what's going on in New Brunswick with lobstering? Well, first of all, Canada has uh, successfully been able to whitewash and candy coat their history 
but their treatment of indigenous people in Canada has been as brutal, if not more brutal, than that uh, which we experience right here in the United States. Uh, Canada, in history, has has their massacres against indigenous peoples. Uh, the killing of Louis Riel, the great Métis leader who allied himself with the Cree nations of uh, Western Canada, uh, he, along with 11 Cree chiefs, were hung in, in 1885. Uh, you can see that uh, Canada has been very brutal with its indigenous people. You know, there's something about Canadians and Americans in general. They like to pass themselves off as peaceful, Christian, uh, God-fearing, loving, compassionate people. And that's as long as they have their way. But the minute that our tribal leaders uh, challenge them and their fierce terror, of course, we become the savages, the hostiles, the renegades, you know, the rhetoric of genocide, uh, so that they can kill us. But we have to ask the question, who are the real terrorists? Who are the real savages? And uh, the Can Canadian government has treated the indigenous people in a very savage manner down through the years. And while, uh, you know, they have granted a certain amount of autonomy and independence over the Northwest Territories, uh, I would suggest that the leaders up there read the small print when it comes to timber, water, and petroleum and mineral reserves. But uh, to give you an example of that hypocrisy, I was in Amsterdam here just a few days ago and waiting in the business class lounge at uh, KLM Airlines at Schiphol Airport, uh, sitting with a group of Americans, uh, business people. Uh, we were watching uh, BBC and CNN uh, International News, and uh, we've seen these pictures come on of... Uh, Canadian Department of Natural Resource Law Enforcement Agencies literally uh, ramming into the boats of the indigenous lobster fishermen who have been doing this since time immemorial. It's part of their spiritual, cultural tradition. Certainly, it uh, benefits them economically uh, through the subsistence fishing. And, of course, you know, we didn't decimate all the lobster. We didn't kill all the eagles or the buffalo or the wolves. You know, American and Canadian immigrants came into our natural habitat and then turned around and killed all of us, as they have done to the other living creatures. Uh, we didn't decimate the fishing stocks, and we won't decimate the fishing stocks. But at the time that the U.S. Supreme Court has uphold, upheld the traditional fishing uh, rights of indigenous people here under the 1837 treaty, I'm talking about the Ojibwe, Chippewa people of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota in particular, we see the Canadian government, even though there are court rulings upholding the rights of indigenous people, literally ramming their boats and causing a tremendous amount of suffering. We have been in touch with the fishing leaders and the tribal leaders up in the Maritimes of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. And what they have told us is that uh, the law enforcement agencies literally are beating the hell out of them. And I think it's a shame that the Canadian authorities would be acting in this fashion. You would think that it was Nazi Germany or something in the treatment of the Jews, but they're finally showing their true colors, obviously. And on the basis of that, the American Indian movement intends not to stand by and allow this to continue. We're calling on all of our friends worldwide to take action against all Canadian consulates, embassies, business interests, and we're asking our people in this country and Canada to march on all international border crossings and do whatever they have to do to block these crossings 
until the Canadian government starts acting civilized like they claim to be. You know, uh, the thing that it really that confuses me, confuses the hell out of me about this whole uh, lobstering situation in New Brunswick, is if these, uh, if the Micmac, if the uh, tribe that's there uh, has the right through uh, historical fishing rights to fish in the way that they have fished for forever, to use the lobster traps that they have used forever, um, then why would the uh, government be coming down so hard on them rather than, uh, I mean, they see, from every article I've read, from very uh, even conservative newspapers in Canada, it seems like the Micmac are willing to negotiate, but it doesn't seem like the Canadian government is willing to negotiate. It comes right down to greed, greed of the Canadian government and the sports fishermen and the other non-Indian commercial fishermen. It comes down to greed, and they're wanting to continue exploiting the resources uh, to the detriment of the Micmac and the other fishermen along the coast. Uh, so we would hope that the Canadian government would start behaving themselves and not act like the thugs under apartheid South Africa that, uh, that caused the suffering of the people of Azani or South Africa all these years. You know, it's amazing that just north of the border here, we see them acting in such an uncivilized uh, fashion. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. We're speaking with Vernon Belcourt. Vernon is from the American Indian Movement, AIMovement.org. Please check out their website. Vernon, it's the last question I have for you. You know it's the question from hell. Are you ready, Vernon? Surely. All right, so here is my question from hell. Uh, as you have noticed, this story is being completely ignored in the mainstream broadcast media here in the United States. As you have noticed in the past, when there were disputes over uh, fishing rights in northern Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan uh, with your own tribe, with the Ojibwe and with the Chippewa, that, um, uh, that was very much ignored in the press as well. While this... this uh, imposed uh, censorship, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, continues. Um, do you think that the discrimination against Native Americans is so far beyond any other discrimination that may be happening in uh, this country to any other minority that it's almost impossible for people to comprehend how bad it is? Absolutely. Uh, as I said, the uh, Indian people uh, are the evidence of the American Holocaust. And when I say American Holocaust, I'm talking about what's going on in Guatemala, what's going on in continuing Colombia, what's going on along the east coast of what is called Canada. Uh, and they want to they hide the evidence because we're the evidence of this Holocaust. And they want to try to ignore us uh, because we still uh, control to an extent a tremendous amount of the petroleum and coal and other mineral reserves in this country out of sight, out of mind. They figure if they ignore us, that we'll go away. I want to give you an example. I was just watching one of the major networks this morning, and they had the African-American woman who's the vice presidential candidate to Pat Buchanan, who uh, has, I think, uh, uh, in the polls, uh, doing about uh, 1.5 to 2%. Yet Ralph Nader has a young Indian woman from the Ojibwa Nation of northern Minnesota by the name of Winona LeDuc, Nader and Leduc are carrying about 5, 6, in some states, 7 percent 
Uh, but we don't see any of these programs having Winona LaDuke on because she would be talking about the various things that I'm talking about, about freedom for Leonard Peltier, who's a victim of the American government excesses starting at Wounded Knee in 1973 in particular. She'd be talking about the resources, uh, how our lands are still being exploited. America, I think, are being shortchanged because I'm convinced there's a lot of people out there. There's a tremendous reservoir of goodwill among the American people and other people worldwide. But they're never going to know how they can help if the mainstream media continues to totally ignore us as they're doing right now. Uh, it's ironic that we have to burn an effigy of Wahoo in Cleveland. We have to throw blood on the Guatemalan embassy to get Americans to understand that one day they will be held accountable uh, for what has happened in Guatemala. If out of ignorance, they uh, don't know, but once they know, if they choose not to do anything about it. So, uh, you know, it's ironic that we have to resort to these kinds of struggles in order to get attention from the media. Uh, when our people are going through the courts, uh, using the system uh, that's imposed on us, and we're having some success with that, that's not newsworthy. They want to look around and see us burning out some settlers, fortifying the ignorant stereotypes, uh, that America thinks about us and that keeps them locked into ignorance and out of that ignorance comes uh, total misunderstanding, total fear, and overreaction by law enforcement. You know what, Vernon, uh, just one last thing. Uh, I actually had this, uh, somebody sent me an email. They said, I know you're going to do a question for hell for, uh, question from hell for uh, Vernon uh, Belcourt, so ask him this. And I think that I know what your question, your answer is going to be, but uh, the person says that uh, uh, conquering other people, conquering other lands seems to be the natural progression of what, not natural progression, but the uh, continued progression of human history. Uh, ask him if the land that he lives on now is his ancestors' land or if his ancestors conquered it from another people. You know, a lot of times our detractors, when we're demonstrating outside of the Cleveland Stadium or the University of Illinois, uh, our detractors will come by and out of ignorance, they'll say, why don't you go back where you came from if you don't like it here? They say that to us. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? And we said, well, tonight, you know, we'll put up our wigwam in your backyard because that's where we came from. Uh, <laughs> our people were pushed out of the eastern seaboards, the northeast into the Great Lakes area, and, of course, eventually pushed into... Uh, Rocky Boy, Montana, where there are Ojibwe, Chippewa people. Many of our people went on up into uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan and Canada. Uh, many of our people were forced to settle along a line that had been inhabited for, uh, since time immemorial by both the Dakota, uh, which are the Sioux Nation, uh, the Ho-Chunk or Winnebago, and the Ojibwa or Chippewa, which, in fact, when we were pushed into the uh, various lands of the Dakota, uh, that started the, uh, the, the, the uh, friction uh, between various tribes. But when we occupied our own lands and lived on our own lands, we lived basically in peace with one another. Uh, the areas where I live at the White Earth or Ojibwe Nation in northern Minnesota were both used and inhabited by the Dakota and my people, the Ojibwa. And, of course, if we were to go back to our ancestral lands, uh, we would have to dispossess a lot of non-Indian settlers in and around Chicago, for instance, and on over into the Great Lakes region. 
Uh, so uh, we would just be all be moving around again in one huge shuffle. And one other thing, I keep thinking of questions right before I'm going to let you go, is um, the Native American, uh, and I'm going to be using really general terms here because I know that there were plenty of different tribes and probably plenty of different traditions, but m it is my understanding, my, uh, I don't know, short-sighted, nearsighted, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, white man's perspective of the uh, uh, Native Americans is that uh, all of your history had been passed down traditionally in, a, in an oral tradition and uh, has a lot of that history been lost or even intentionally lost so uh, it would be kept more sacred? I mean, it, 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 has a lot of your history been lost due to the oral tradition? Of course. You know, the whole system was to destroy us spiritually, culturally, socially, economically, politically. And uh, we are the victims of America's most horrendous brainwashing or behavior modification programs. You know, the American government uh, uh, coined the phrase brainwashing when uh, American service people, servicemen in particular, ended up in uh, North Korean or Vietnamese uh, prison camps. They said that they were brainwashed. Uh, the United States had a policy to destroy us spiritually culturally, to destroy our language, to destroy our traditions in the U.S. boarding schools, which were operated in a very brutal fashion by many of the various Christian denominations, including the satanic priests and, and, uh, and nuns, satanic nuns, uh, within various Catholic boarding schools here and in Canada. So there was a whole policy to destroy us in that fashion. The American Indian Movement, which uh, came about in 1968 here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, was actually a rebirth of spiritual, cultural, social, economic, and political realities. We sparked a spiritual and cultural renaissance whereby things have turned around completely. And in many of our schools now, our young people are having to learn their language, uh, where their parents and grandparents were stripped of it, uh, and we're very hopeful and optimistic for the future because of the fact that we have turned things around somewhat. But uh, you're right. A lot of the oral tradition, oral history, uh, a lot of our uh, spiritual way of life has been lost. But I can tell you it was kept intact in a lot of our traditional people who are now our teachers, our mentors, and our instructors. Uh, so I believe all in all, with all the problems we're faced, we have a very promising future. Well, I wish the best of luck to you, Vernon. I wish the best of luck to the American Indian Movement, and I hope that uh, finally people will uh, be as sensitive to what has happened to the Native American as they are to many of the other minorities here in the United States. Vernon, I appreciate you being on the show. It's always an honor to have you on. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank I hope to be on again. All right. Thanks a lot, Vernon. Have a great day.